So, first things first. Allie, did you know that when you eat at Red Robin, <laughs> you get a balloon? You can just say, can I have a balloon? And they'll give you a balloon. Haley, we talked about this. We don't talk about brands that we're not getting paid for. Okay, then Red Robin, step up your game because I love this balloon. I literally... I've been walking around telling people you... Okay, so... We accidentally ran into, like, a really professional colleague of Allie's, and before I knew it was a really professional colleague of Allie's, I was already like, hey, did you know if you need a Red Robin, they'll give you a free balloon? Listen, so here's the story behind this. We went to Red Robin today because Haley's had a really, really messed up week, <laughs> and we got milkshakes and fries, because that's Cause what Red Robin, do. yeah. Yeah. And when we were leaving, Haley saw that they had balloons because it's Red Robin, and of course they have balloons. They've had balloons since forever. They just changed it now so that they're more effective. And Haley wanted a balloon, but she was too nervous to ask for one. So I went up and I was like, hey, can I have a balloon? And they were like, of fucking course you can have a balloon. So I got her a balloon. And now... (laughs) For hours, we've anyone that we've met or haven't met just through the window of my car, we've been like, hey, 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 did you know that you can get a balloon? But we're not going to talk about Red Robin anymore until they step up their fucking game and they start sponsoring this podcast because we need money. True. And I do. will sponsor Red Robin because they have gluten-free options that I can eat. And, and they can get better. balloons. I mean, that one. They also have cake batter milkshakes that you can eat. I cannot eat. Yeah, that's true. Um, I hope everyone realizes that... Hey, are you making noises, Haley? Okay, first of all, that was the first time I've ever made a noise on this podcast. And second of all... Of course, I make lovely high-pitched dings and you make guttural noises. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I wasn't even kidding. Or Allie wasn't even kidding. It's literally been hours. I love Red Robin. Red Robin sponsor, hashtag hit us up, hashtag chaps and chili. Honestly, please, I would uh, I would adore that. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Are you drunk right now, Haley? Did I'm, you get a did you get a boozy milkshake at Red Robin? <laughs> I am drinking water currently. Hey, Haley, yeah. are you leaning in right now? Or are you electioning right now? I'm leaning in. I, I'm just looking at ballot stuff for fun. I don't know that that's the appropriate time to do that. Okay, you guys, Allie's a teacher, and it's my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, like, the new title of your memoir, honestly. True. Um, so, Allie, how far into Lean... Oh, yeah, we're reading Lean In. Hi, everybody. Yeah, we decided to get Lean In. And the only reason, truly, that we decided to get Lean In, aside from Kathy getting in at the library, was because of Kelsey. She was able to fund us getting Lean In. Real. Kelsey is a lifesaver, like every moment of every time I've ever had a crisis. Thank you, Kelsey. She is the one and true based God. (laughs) How do you even know that joke? Let's just move on from that moment. I've seen it on Twitter a couple times. Well, that's really cool, actually. Um, That's a really exciting joke for you to know. You're so hip. I can't even stand it. Thank you. I try my best. Yep. Uh, So, Kelsey, thanks for letting us read a book that we had to pay money for instead of just reading whatever free thing was available. Honestly, yeah. (laughs) Um, I know that we set up SoundCloud... um, like, with the hopes that our Patreon would eventually fund that money. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kelsey's patronage 
has helped us be able to pay for... (laughs) Anyway... um, I'm funny, you guys. So I have been reading Lean In. It's been great. How far are you? I'm trying to figure it out. It says I'm 13%. Wow. That's a whole 3% more than I am, Allie. So that's rude. Yeah. So... So, um, anyway. you're 13% in. Before you started reading this book, you had heard about it before, but you'd never read it, correct? What sort of, like, ideas did you have going in? I had mostly no negative criticisms of it, actually. Mainly because in my gender, women, and sexuality studies classes, there were negative critiques of it brought up, uh, primarily because of the way that it wasn't thought of as mostly inclusive of all experiences, primarily the way that it wasn't thought of as inclusive for a lot of women of color and uh, women of just different experiences of Cheryl Sandberg. Yeah, that's true. This book, even from the 10% I've read, this book is written with a very, very like white, middle-class feminist agenda. Correct. Um, that being said, I am a white, middle-class feminist, so I connect right. with it really well. Um, But I understand how other people could have criticisms like that because, I mean, she even recognizes that it's not a very inclusive. She's only coming from her own personal space, but I can see how that would be obnoxious Um, if you weren't also from that space. Yeah, I agree. And I, I see now, like, I obviously knew that it was popular and that there were positive commentaries on it as well Mm -hmm. so I mean and and we've touched on that as well like Rosianna talks about it a lot and John Green had mentioned it as well Mm -hmm. but from a scholarly background most of the the commentaries that I knew from it were mostly neutral to negative yeah which I mean I don't I don't think that that's necessarily negatively impacted my reading experience of it so far but I think that I can see why they think that yeah well and that's kind of really frustrating to me because it reminds me a lot of um i know this is like slotted for much later in the podcast um but that reminds me of the quote when she talks about like the fact that just because things could be worse doesn't mean we shouldn't focus on making them better and sort of like that it's like people are criticizing this book for being a white feminist piece of propaganda but like just because it could be more inclusive doesn't mean we have to be mad at it for being what it is you know it is really um reflective of the middle class white feminist experience so that is kind of frustrating to me but oh well all the experiences or all the things I'd heard about it were pretty good so I'm I was pretty excited moving in even moving in but (laughs) yeah yeah we now live in our kindles (laughs) I mean like true though (laughs) yeah in order to prepare for this I do think that we have to kind of embody our kindle experience for sure accurate for the first thing that we want to touch on should we talk about the actual title Yes. So I'd say that that's kind of an important component of this. Yeah. So Lean In seems sort of obvious. Like it's about um, making your own experience your own. Like lean in, be aware of blah, blah, blah. But it turns out that it's much more complicated than that. I would agree. She sort of talks about this like chicken and egg mentality situation um, where women 
need to be leaning in and being active participants in their lives as opposed to pulling back and being passive participants and being um, affected by the negative society around them that tells them women can't be this, blah, blah, blah. It puts a lot of, like, responsibility on women themselves to make themselves the bosses of their own lives. Yeah, I would agree. I think I knew going into this what leaning in meant Mm -hmm. from a surface level. Primarily, I think that my first experience of it was our first experience with women on YouTube. Okay. With Rosiana Mm -hmm. um, when we were sitting out by the grass at our first VidCon. She talked about it at that space. And so I, I understood it within that context of, like, physically leaning into a space and, like, being engaged. So I just associated it with that experience. So the the chicken and egg mentality wasn't something that necessarily resonated with me because I was just like, this seems a little abstract and philosophical for my personal taste and so I, I understand now like why that's something that you're like yeah. yeah whereas I'm like the memory for me makes more sense personally fair um for those of you who didn't quite get the chicken and egg thing because I didn't really explain it very well um basically it's this like how do you change um how do you change equality is it that we need to systematically change equality and make sure 50% of CEOs are women and blah, blah, blah. Like, that is the chicken, so to speak. But to change that first, we need um, women in power to change those laws and to change, like, the way that we view women in power. But to get women in power, we need to change how we view them. But to change how we view them, we need to get women in power. Yep. And so it's this whole, like, vicious cycle of how to make uh, equality equal. Exactly. And I think that it's it's particularly interesting for me that we are... Haley. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that we are having this conversation because of the fact that when I think of, of individuals who participate in conversations in an engaged manner, I would say that we are two that are highly engaged in conversations who use like mannerisms and eye contact and and vocal ways of showing engagement so I would say that in in conversations and in classrooms and in in workspaces we particularly lean in in those spaces I agree it's um really interesting because the uh this author talks about school a lot and I feel like both you and I were both very successful in school. We both mm-hmm. have this, like, academia about us. Yeah. Um, and I agree it's because that we're n- needy people. Not needy in yeah. that, like... <laughs> Drag me, please. Yeah. <laughs> we both know what we need, and more importantly, we both know what we need, and we're not afraid to go get it. Like, right. in class, neither you or I have hesitation in being like, yo, wait up. This doesn't. You need to re-explain this to me. I'm not getting my full experience here. Yeah. Um. And that's. I feel like honestly the only way that you and I both exist in the same like leaning in way. But yeah. No, I would agree, and I think that. Yeah, I would say that we don't have a lot of similarities, but the way that we show attention. In that way is very similar. Which I think is interesting because when she's saying, like, lean in more in physical ways, I'm like, yeah, all right, cool. I got that. 
But then I'm also like, okay, in the work context, I'm like, oh, shit, okay. Right. <laughs> like, call me out a little bit more. So exactly. I think that it does, there are always ways to improve more. And I think that when she talks about, like, holding herself back in that way as well, I think that that's where it started to resonate with me more. I completely agree because, you know, um, growing up as a woman, as a bossy, aggressive woman, I learned a lot about, like, systematic reasons why... I would fail to achieve. I learned a lot about the glass ceiling. I learned a lot about the fact that there has never been a woman president, hopefully until like four days from now, moving forward. Um, yeah. So I learned a lot about the like society of women being less, but I never really learned about the reasons that like I might consider my own self less. Sure. You know, like the real internalizing of um, failures that women get um, forced to do, whereas men get to fluff off their failures a little bit easier. So, you know, I was really privy to some reasons why women aren't equal, but not, I feel like, honestly, not the important ones, which are these lean in, which are these, like, you have to take it upon yourself, too. Yeah, I agree. I think I grew up being told that I was chatty, that I was bossy, like, adjectives that aren't necessarily have a positive connotation to them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when you grow up with those adjectives and being told those things, you obviously internalize them and those have an impact. And so when you only hear those kinds of things, the way that you assert yourself or don't assert yourself growing forward certainly changes in a way that folks who didn't have that experience it would certainly be different exactly yeah it would certainly be different I can't imagine growing up like as anyways we have a lot a lot of things to talk about in this podcast yeah. <laughs> so let's move on from bullet point literally one of 12 please um on to like two of 12 go um, on so basically, uh, there's this concept that like when people are in control, they help their own. Um, so like yes. the reason that we need 50% women CEOs and 50% women representatives in government is because when those people are there, they can recognize things that aren't um, being helpful for their communities and they can change them. Yes. Even things that aren't purposefully in place to detriment the minorities accidentally do sometimes. Um, like I know sh the woman, the author of this talked about a parking situation that you had a lot of feelings about. Do you want to get into sort of that parking situation? Yeah. So Cheryl Sandberg kind of introduces lean in with this experience that she has when she first starts working at Google, not when she first even gets to Facebook initially. And she's an executive there and she starts it off when she's pregnant, goes into that whole experience and realizes that Google does not have expectant mother family parking in that space. Which and was really important for her because she noticed that it was like impossible to walk quickly through the parking lot without, yeah. you know, dying basically. Yeah. I mean, she mentioned that she would have to like run to get to meetings, which meant for her, like, hobbling. Yeah. Yeah. And so she would end up, you know, that would, like, exacerbate her nausea, those kinds of things. And it, it wasn't something that had occurred to her for other employees in those spaces 
who had also gone through pregnancy and those kinds of things. So she would go, she went to the execs and demanded that they had parking available for those folks because her husband, who worked at Yahoo at the time, had that parking available and it was just like a standard thing. And it was something that, I mean, she mentioned that the folks who had been pregnant must have suffered in silence because they didn't feel like they had the authority to ask for that. Exactly. If none of your executives are pregnant women, how can you bring up a very pregnant woman specific? You know, that seems like it's demanding special treatment, so to speak, when really it's just demanding an equal playing field. Exactly. Um, And yeah, it, it says a lot that Google had to have a high up exec get pregnant before they realized, oh wait, pregnant women need accommodations. Yeah. And that's why, again, it's so important to have people who look like you in power. Absolutely. In any kind of power. Yeah. And I noticed expectant mother slash family parking at the mall that I work at. Um, They have it now, but it was the first time that I observed it. I mean, I'm sure that there are other places that have it, but it was the first time that I personally noticed it. Um, But I don't see it in a lot of other spaces locally. Yeah. Um, I was a live-in nanny for a little while, and I can tell you I've never seen pregnant slash family parking or like expectant mother slash family parking ever in my life. Yeah. And, like, I don't know if that's true if I've never seen it, but I've definitely never noticed it. So that either says that, A, it's not um, it's not as widely spread as it should be, but it says, B, that it really doesn't impact anybody who's not pregnant. Right. It's one small thing for, you know, that everyone can do for an expectant mother to ease their burden a little bit. Right. But it's not something that has literally ever affected anyone who isn't a pregnant woman. Right. That seems like a no-brainer to me. Of course, designate one, maybe two spots yeah. for children and moms with children. Right. Yeah, and the fact that it's it's not just expectant mother, but it's family parking, I think is, is huge because of how much of a burden that takes off of, of families mm-hmm. to just to ease their stress there as well. Because it's, it's not just helpful for the guest experience but it's helpful for everyone else in that dynamic as well right so have I you ever think it'd be in their best interests right have you ever sat in a movie theater with a, an angry baby you know it would have made the baby not angry not being woken up an extra five minutes to get you know the whole family across the parking lot yep maybe if a baby had a few more minutes of sleep didn't have to be disturbed all the time the baby could chill Family parking would allow that to be a lot easier. I'm not saying you'd never have a crying baby again, but yeah, th- th- three out of four times, the someone can wait outside with it, whatever. doesn't matter. Yeah. Yes, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Didn't realize that I would have a lot of feelings about it as someone who is not planning on being an expectant mother in the next few years, but it's something that I think is an interesting concern that I think all management should have. Yeah, but that all management doesn't have, and probably, like we're talking about, unfortunately, not out of militia. They're not being like, oh, well, we're, you know, fuck the pregnant women. Yeah. They probably have never considered yep. expectant mother parking because they've probably never had a pregnant um, employee who was 
A, courageous enough to talk to them about it, or B, um, even at all, maybe. Yeah, or was, you know, able to be in the meetings, able to speak up about Mm -hmm. it, you know, was in the room kind of thing. Exactly, and I think it's super interesting, too, because you sort of, when we were talking about this, you referred to this expectant mother parking sort of in the same vein as... um, like handicap parking, like as if pregnancy was a disability. And I thought that was really, you know, gut check. I thought that was terrible because I was like, well, no, pregnancy is a choice. Disabilities aren't a choice. You know, nobody decides, blah, blah, blah. But it's interesting, too, because that's a very, if I ever get pregnant, it will be a choice. I am lucky enough to never have to use expectant mother parking unless I decide I want to. Um, But that's coming from a very, very privileged place of a white 22-year-old with, you know, in a liberal state with access to money. Sure. There are, I'm sure, a lot of people in this world who would tell me that being pregnant was in no way a choice for them. Right. So, you know, maybe, I don't know. It's definitely a thinking point for sure that I don't know that our perspectives are the only perspectives. Exactly. Yeah, I. it's incredible. This book already, I'm 10% in, and I'm already just so mad all the time. Yeah, it's definitely giving me a lot of feelings, which I'm I'm grateful for. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, like, really interesting point that um, you seem to bring up was a lot of her passive dictation in, um, in, like, one page in particular, but in general. What sort of... How do you feel about passive dictation, Allie? Yeah, it was particularly on one page. I think it was page 62 mm-hmm. or something. Something about it really got under my skin and I didn't like it. <laughs> um, and I understand where she was coming from. It was this like one paragraph where she was saying that women and girls are trapped, wives are treated, women are raped like victims are even sent to jail and I understand where she was coming from in the sense that you know she was using detached language because it was an experience that she doesn't know it was you know women from across the world so their experiences that she doesn't have whatever but something about it I didn't feel good about it because it it just really showed that she, it almost lacked compassion to me. And I don't know that's necessarily her intent, but the impact for me was that's how it came across. Yeah, I think that she's probably just trying to highlight for you again the fact that she's a white privileged feminist. Sure. She's trying to actively separate herself from the people who have these experiences that she in no way has. Like, the women who have even less rights, the women who don't get to complain about expectant mother parking lots because they're concerned about all of these other things. Right. And yeah, I understand where she's coming from with that, but yeah, the passive language makes it such that like she's blaming these women for being a passive participant in their own lives when... I guess it just shows how much more... Like, she is an active participant in her life, mm-hmm. I guess. Even though I don't think that that's necessarily what she's trying to do. But that's a good point to bring up the fact that, like, again, with Lean In, with um, everything she's saying, she is expecting, she's putting this burden on women to have to be active participants in their own lives. And she's, like, sort of separating herself as well from being a pat- passive participant. She's trying to say, like, 
me and my morality, me and my decisions have led me to be active in my own life, to make my own choices, etc. Yeah. Hmm. Um, something super interesting that I thought too was she keeps referencing the fact that women are excelling in academia in America, in America specifically. I don't know about other places, but in America specifically, um, she's saying that like women obtain, I think, what was it, 57% of all undergrad degrees and 60% yeah. of all master's degrees, um, and yet they're only... Um, oh, I don't remember these stats at all, but a very small proportion of the big CEOs in the company, they're a very small proportion of government, they're a very small proportion of the decisions that are really being made that impact our country, our world, our day-to-day lives. Every single decision, women have this technical skill that's not being input into the decision-making process. Right. Yeah, I think the the fact that well, and I think that she mentions this as well, that the women are being trained to be obedient, mm-hmm. but they're not being trained to be leaders is very powerful. Yeah. And that the school system is is training them to almost be outside of the executive decision room. Um, and she... She writes that in a way that I hadn't thought about it before, is that, of course, they're excelling in academia because that's not what is... Those aren't traits that excel in executive decision-making. And it was just something that I hadn't thought about before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There are two main takeaways, I think, from the fact that women are excelling in academia but not in decision-making places. Um, I think... Um, that mostly it's because um, women are, are just aren't getting access to these spaces where they can make decisions, government, CEOs, etc. But I also think, yeah, it's because in school, the reason we're excelling in academia is because it has that model of like, raise your hand, wait to be called on, um, memorize these facts, tell us these facts later, we will validate you and approve that you did good, good job, congratulations. Mm -hmm. Um, And so academia is sort of tailored to this passivity that comes with, like, womanness, if you know what I mean. Right. But there's also this quote where she talks about education in the sense that Let's see if I can find it. Mm-hmm. That teachers also interact with more boys and call on them more frequently. Yes. Um, because of the fact that, and also that boys are more likely to call out answers and that when they do, teachers mm-hmm. usually listen to them. As opposed to when women call out answers without their hands being called on, raised, etc. Um, people usually berate them. Uh, right. Teachers usually chastise them for speaking out of turn. Exactly. Whereas men get their answers heard still. Exactly. So it's still reinforcing these ideas of um, like what is allowed in the decision-making rooms. Absolutely. Um, before we move on, can we touch on the gender binary really quick? Yes. As we're using the language that Cheryl uses in this space and not necessarily what we usually um, would use in it. Yeah. A daily space. Um, she uses women and men exclusively. Yeah, there's no other option. It's either a woman or a man. And she uses the phrase both genders in this text um, frequently, which grates my nerves a lot. Yeah, Um, and after that huge non-binary controversy that happened on YouTube, 
I, I do think it's really important to note, like, we recognize non-binary genders exist yes. and are completely valid. And in no way do we, um, in no way do I think that she was trying to get at that there is no non-binary genders. Um, and in no way do I believe that in any way. No, and I, I certainly agree. So when we're, I mean, I, and I'm going to speak for myself here, that when I am using women and men here, I think that... I'm using it within the context of what Cheryl is discussing and the statistics that she is using within this space. Um, and we have to call, like, come from the data that she is referencing here. Exactly. Here, when I'm talking about women and men, I'm specifically yeah, talking about cis women, cis men, because I think non-binary folk of any sort and trans of any sort, they have an entire different set of obstacles they have an entire different systematic oppression to face and to try to beat and i do think that probably a lot of this transcends gender borders i think that no matter who you are um you should probably be leaning in you should probably be an active participant in your life and your education etc but i don't know i'm a white cis female that's all i got right yeah no i agree and i think that the the intersections of that and how how you lean in as someone that, you know, does not, you know, subscribe to that would be a different experience that I do not personally understand. Exactly. So... And that Cheryl obviously does not speak to. Mm-hmm. So... If you're a trans um, or a non-binary listener, basically you should probably keep your hand raised when people are asking questions from a crowd, but I don't know. Live your life. Yeah. Chase your bliss. Chase your bliss. <laughs> yeah. But I think that it's important to note that, like, as we discuss lean in, we're using these terms, but please don't feel excluded from this narrative. Like, we're using Cheryl's terms and not necessarily, you know, how we feel about gender. Exactly. And read this book and get from it whatever you will and talk to us about it in all of our things, but we'll tell you where to talk to us later. Yeah. I'd be curious to see what the... I don't know what the research about leaning in from like non-gender conforming and trans. I doubt there's any research literally at all, if not very, very little. Hopefully there will be soon then. True. Um, Okay, so before again we move on, there's a lot of stuff we're going to have to cut from this. But before we move on, I would really like to talk about the fact that um, Cheryl, Cheryl's her name? Cheryl Sandberg. Thank you. She references that in 1965, when her mom graduated school, her mom saw two career paths for women. Sure. Women could either be teachers or they could be nurses. Yeah. And when I read that, I was like, that's dumb. And then I thought, and I was like, oh, I don't have a single female friend who is not either a teacher or a nurse or on route to be. Sure. Not a single one. And then, of course, a few hours later, I brought that up to you, and you reminded me that I have a wonderful friend named Alexis, who is an engineer. God bless Alexis. Good job. I'm so proud of you. But still, my one token, not nurse or teacher friend, every other female that I talk to is one of those things. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And I don't know a single male who is in either of those fields, or even interested in either of those fields. Yeah. So, like, that was in 1965, but was it in 1965 or was it right now? Right. Yeah. And as I told you when you brought this information to me, that that, the way that that intersects with religious schools is also very interesting as well. Because of the fact that 
your undergrad school was a religious school. Mm-hmm. Um, and the school that I'm attending for grad school is now is also a religious school and also is a factory for nurses and teachers. Mm-hmm. And I'd be interested to see how that works nationally as well. That's true. I, we are both coming from a very different place like we always are. Um, but I did go to the University of Portland, which is this super cute little pi- pirate, nope, private Catholic, but pirate works too. Yep. Um, private Catholic university that is best known for our nursing school. So I will admit that, of course, all of my friends are nurses. I went to a nursing school. Yes. But also, but also. Correct. So I thought that was super duper interesting. And again, thank goodness for Alexis, who is, of course, my one token not-nurse friend. Correct. Yeah. My experience with that is a lot different. Mm -hmm. I, since I'm going into education, know a lot of males that are teachers. Mm -hmm. However, I would say that the vast majority of folks that we graduated with are nurses. Mm -hmm. And I would say the majority of our friend group from high school are either nurses or going to be teachers. Yep. I can think of maybe three females I didn't, or that I graduated with high school. No, where am I today? So good question. I can think of maybe three females I graduated high school with that are not either mothers or preparing to be nurses or teachers right now. Not, not even three, three maybe. And I would say that the ones that do not fit that are engineers. Mm Mm-hmm. And STEM, and that's wonderful. Yeah, I'm super glad that there's a lot of STEM females, but also there should be 50% everything females. Mm-hmm. Where, well, I mean, you know, roughly. But where are all of the women doing other things? That's a great question that I don't know. I don't have an answer to. Well, so, like, why are you a teacher? Do you feel like it's... How do you get away with being a female undergrad or grad student getting ready to be a teacher and a feminist like how do you feel doing one of the jobs I mean I have wanted to be a teacher since I was six and I and you don't think that was because you were a cute little girl like I didn't think about that at all it was just because I have always had teachers that supported me Mm -hmm. and I thought were superheroes it was just like you somehow make folks who don't care somehow care. It wasn't until I got older that I realized that all of them were female. I was just about to say, I hope you realize that the narrative you just put forth is the mom narrative. Yeah. The superhero mom who does it all. The superhero mom who can pack the kids' lunches and make them do their homework. Like, yeah. you've just described a good mom. Right. Yeah, it wasn't until, like, I got to college and started examining, like, until they started asking me, like, why do you want to do what you do and and why do you think that you want to do what you do that I realized, like, oh, education is gendered. Literally. Yeah. It's crazy. It's absolutely, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I would say that because of the fact that I want to teach feminism in my education, I would say that um, that makes me enjoy 
my practice a lot more. And it's really hard because she talks about this a little bit, and we'll talk about this throughout the next podcast probably infinitely. Um, But she talks about the fact that, like, even though these systematic barriers are coming down, women are still choosing to be homemakers or still choosing to be um, teachers and nurses and stuff. And so that's really interesting is, like, there's no accounting for choice. Yeah, you're this feminist, and yeah, you're this um, woman who's grown up in this really privileged, you know, you've had all the opportunities in the world, and yet you're becoming a teacher. I say and yet, but you know what I mean? Like, you're still buying into the the thing, but so are a lot of women. Like, women who are knowing that it's buying into it, and they're still doing it. I mean... Heck, I'm a student currently, but, like, I'm pretty much a kept woman. My boyfriend pays for my rent, and he's the breadwinner of the household, and and that's just, like, a thing. Right. All of, all of us are these, like, feminists who, like, aren't doing the feminist thing. What's that, Allie? I mean, I would say that we are feminists. Yeah, but in the lipstick-wearing feminist ways of the, like, pretending that you're better because you're doing this with self-awareness rather than the people who do it without self-awareness. Like, yeah, we're pretending we're better, but are we really? Well, I'm not pretending that I'm any better than anyone else. But I mean, also, at the same time, you're saying, like, oh, but I'm aware and I'm going to teach feminism, so I'm not really, like, I'm not a teacher because I'm a girl, I'm going to do all these things. So you're, like, pretending you're better than the people who are simply teachers because that's the female narrative. And, I mean, granted, it's not a judgment here. I don't think that you think you're, like, morally better than them, etc. But, like, at the same time... I mean, I do think that I'm going to have less burnout than the people who are going into education because they think they're going to save the world. Because I think that that's a naive narrative. Um... But I try not to approach anyone thinking that I'm better than them. Hmm. I don't know. I think there's. I think that you're um, reacting defensively because you think there's some like judgment there. But I didn't mean like better than them like that. I just mean that you're justifying your choices, like being like, "Oh, well, I am so different than the people who are making this choice without all this knowledge base." When like in reality, is that different at all? I don't know. Exactly. I don't either. Interesting. What do you guys think? Do you guys think it's different um, if you know that you're buying in versus just being ignorant about buying in? Hmm? Microphone? Talk to me about it. Is that your Twitter question for this week? It is. Dang it. I did it again. Yes, that is my Twitter question for this week. Please, y'all. I'm going to go in the hashtag and talk about my answers. Y'all better talk about yours, too, because this is frustrating just talking to myself all the time. That's fair. Yeah, the fact that the Chaps and Chili Twitter tag is so quiet makes me very sad. And I don't like it. Be and sad. I want it to be fixed. Be sad. Yeah. Okay, um, I think with that, let's talk about all the other stuff we wanted to next week and move on to where to listen and all that stuff. Sounds great. Magic. Okay, well, <laughs> y'all can listen on SoundCloud, which is, of course, the place where we initially put all of our podcasts. That's our um, best and brightest of the listening places. You're probably listening on iTunes right now. That's where I would probably guess. That's where I listen to folks. most. That's where I pr- listen to most of my podcasts, but I don't, 
I don't make the choices for you. Um, if you would like to review, you certainly can. I don't review podcasts for most of the things, even though everyone tells me to. Um, we have one review right now, and then one that I accidentally did while I was trying to figure out how to do it. Um, but so just one right now. One real one, or you were the... We have one real one, and okay. then we have mine when I accidentally didn't did one trying to figure out how to do it uh, and I can't figure out how to delete it um, then we also put up our full podcasts on YouTube as well and if you have some spare time and want to caption them please God please do it because we want to try to make our podcasts as successful as possible and we don't have the time to caption them true and also please start listening from Chile um, like the country Chile, because <laughs> we've made this joke a quadrillion times. The Chileans are just like a little bit away from Chileans. Yeah. And yet we still have no listeners from Chile. So we need a Chilean Chilean or Chilean Chilean. Really bad. And all I want is someone to take pictures of the actual chilies, like the restaurants, and put them in the Chaps and Chilies <laughs> uh, tag, or to be listening to the podcast in a Chili's and somehow document that, because that would be hilarious. That's so true. All of these things make me super happy. Yep. So, uh, if you want to contact us, and by if you want to, I mean you better contact us this week to tell me the answer to my question that I've somehow already forgot... Um, please add us at um, on Twitter at chapters n chill. Yes. Like not and the letter n. Yes. Yeah, and you can always use the tag chaps and chili, which uh, is I think the exact same amount of characters. Is that um, true? No, I, that can't be right. It's oh, it's literally one less. So. Oh my god. <laughs> whatever you feel. Yeah, chase your bliss. I don't care. Um, our Tumblr is chaptersandchill.tumblr.com, which will now be posting lots of information about Lean In because there will be a lot more information about that. Now, That's true. Which will be good. Um, we have a Slack page, which is chaptersandchill.slack.com, where we can be posting lots of information about Lean In because now that we've moved on from Afterlife. Um, which which we are sad about, but now there's going to be a wealth of information. So Yeah, and we have a lot of feelings about Lean In, apparently, because we didn't even get through all of that stuff <laughs> that we want to talk about this time. You're breaking the fourth wall, Allie. Mm, I'm not the first <laughs> one, so... And please always email us um, at allieandhaleyreed at gmail.com. Elijah is the only person who's emailed us so far. Hi, That's Elijah. True. Oh, How are you doing? They did you see all the information and all the posts about Elijah and Katie getting engaged? Yes, happy engagement, Elijah and Katie. Mm, Y'all are my beeves, my beeves. I literally cried when I saw all the photos. I did not because I'm not weird, but I still am happy for them anyways. Oh my god. Okay. Anyway, we need to move on. <laughs> so, um, so we are still infinitely on Patreon. Um, please come patron us. We are. We love you very, very much. It's um, as easy as, like, a dollar a month for some perks that I'm sure we've set up. Yes. And what up? Kelsey is our first patron, our um, $10 a month sponsor, Kelsey. What? What? Kelsey. Yes. My fave. You are a literal goddess. Literally. Like, a literal. Like, you are an ethereal goddess. I'm positive. It's true. Um, I'm pretty sure when you get up in the morning, flower crowns spout from, like, your head. Yeah. She's the epitome of that... Um, flower crown snapchat filter oh my gosh if you always look that good like i'm just the most jelly i use that 
filter all the time to pretend that I look good in selfies. Yeah. When I have uh, the occasional blemish, I just use that one and it's all gone. It's, it's just... Great. Yeah. <laughs> just disappears. Yeah. So, so she is the epitome of everything good in this world. True. Like Chipotle. Kelsey is Chipotle, and that, and I feel God in this chilies tonight. <laughs> you can't just skip to the end. Okay, but that was just such a perfect setup. Okay, fine. Well, that's great. You'll see and hear us next week. You probably won't see us next week unless you happen to. That's we funny. usually just post a picture of us when we're done podcasting on Twitter. So. I don't do that. That's stupid. You're okay. Fine. Whatever. Say the thing so we can get out of here. What thing? I already said the thing. Okay, well, I feel God's chosen. Bye. Bye.